and welcome to episode 15. Now, I recognize that episode 14 was actually about 18 months ago, but I refuse to say that this is a new series because I don't know, I do. Uh, I am Jocelyn thompson Raw, and welcome to Fitness Unfiltered, my podcast, which I have definitely not recorded in the last 18 months. But this episode I actually recorded just over a year ago and never got around to getting it up here on the actual podcast sphere whatever it's called but this actually is probably uh, my most personal recording in that I talk about my pregnancy with Max my second born uh, he just turned one at the end of January and I was working with um, a pelvic floor physio, Helen Keeble, who's amazing. She's spoken at my Women in Fitness Summit. She'll be speaking again this coming year. And I saw Helen because I was hoping for a natural birth with Max, which I had. But this recording is actually just about a week or so before I had him. And I had been working with Helen because I had a C-section with Bjorn and was hoping for a natural birth with Max, which I in fact did have in the end. But this is uh, literally just a chat between Helen and I about what I had to go through in terms of getting my pelvic floor ready to have Max in as safe a way possible and all of the, for want of a better word <laughs> or phrase, ins and outs of that. But yes, so if you've been following me for any length of time, you'll know that I tend to keep my pregnancies very private. It's not something I post on social media at all. It's a very precious thing to me and I like to keep it to myself and um, my very, very closest and dearest. So in that sense, it's a, it's quite a different one for me because it's something that I don't talk about a lot, certainly on social media. So and here I am broadcasting it to whoever is willing to listen on the podcast. So I hope you enjoy it and have a listen. Uh, lots of exciting episodes coming up. I'm officially back in podcast land <laughs> 18 months later, practically. So I look forward to getting back on the scene. Um, if you like this, please, please leave me some stars of the five variety on iTunes and a, a comment as well would be great. Let me know what you think. Let me know who you'd like to, me to have on. Um, I would love all of that. So I hope you enjoy the show and see you on the other side. Helen, how are you? I am good, thanks. How are you? I'm really well. I'm really well because I'm in your capable hands, basically. kind. <laughs> <laughs> So, Helen, um, why don't you just introduce yourself real quick and then we'll go from there. Sure. So I'm Helen and I basically work as a women's health physio in London at the moment. And I have a special interest in sport. So I get a lot of ladies coming to see me who are currently pregnant or have just had a baby and they need help really getting back into exercise in the right way or want to know how to continue with their exercise regime. I'm not completely limited just to sports and exercise. I will also yeah. see loads of other ladies that might need help with either sexual dysfunction or bladder control, bowel issues. It could be low back pain, pelvic girdle pain, ongoing diastasis, which of course is still related to pregnancy. But yeah, so I see a whole range, with, really. Yep. So you basically do all the things for the ladies, which is amazing. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I have to blame you, Helen, because A, um, I need you in my life forever. Um, and B, you're the reason why I'm probably going to do the most candid of any of the podcasts that I've done so far, or I will in fact do again. But I came to see you initially because I had actually spoken to you actually a, a previous podcast with a really good friend of mine, TJ, who's also um, a pelvic floor physio. We were chatting about pelvic floor and women and training and all of that kind of stuff and just how there's so much that can be done, but it's this kind of massive brushed over topic that women just do not know enough about. And so when I was chatting with TJ, I was explaining, I actually um, called her up when I fell pregnant with my second child. I have got a week to go, so I'm hanging on in there. I'd quite like it just to stay there for another like five days and then I'll have, I'll have done everything because, as you know, I'm a squeezer inner of life, as it were. Right? I spoke to TJ when I was pregnant. Yeah, well, I'm currently now pregnant, obviously, because with my first child, Bjorn, who's going to be um, four very soon, I ended up having a C-section. I only ever dilated to three centimeters. And I obviously thought it was because my pelvic floor was so strong, but TJ corrected me and said, no, it's probably just hypertonic. So it's a little bit tight and it's a little bit weak. So awesome. Thanks for that, TJ. Um, <laughs> but what I was uh, really mindful of was that I, A, there could be something, A, something could be done about it. And B, obviously, you know, I would like um, as much as possible to have a, a V-back, so a natural birth um, after a cesarean with this uh, with my next child and so TJ was like well you need to go and get your pelvic floor checked so I actually went to a pelvic floor clinic I think when I was maybe about 10 weeks or 11 weeks or something like that maybe even less than that but the lady that I saw said I can't check you because you're pregnant so I was like well that sucks and then luckily um, a friend of mine Aoife uh, told me about you and there are plenty of pregnant women in and out of your office being checked. So I was like, Helen is my woman. So then we got in touch and it went from there, really. So you, for you, it's absolutely fine to check the pelvic floor of women, even if they are already pregnant. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I, well, the rough guidelines say that, well, from a physiotherapy point of view, not to do an internal check in the first trimester, but really that's to be extra, extra cautious. There's never been any proven link between miscarriage or anything like that at all. But yeah, it's especially second and third trimester, completely 100% safe. Okay. Because even when I saw this lady, I kind of said, well, you know, I can't get checked at all. And she was like, no, no, because you're already pregnant. So there was no talk of, oh, you know, this is your first trimester. And so maybe in the second or the third you can get checked. Anyway, I found you. Do you remember what you even found, Helen, when you first checked me? I can. Do you want me to share? Yeah, share away. Let's go. This is this is all out. Go on. So, well, there wasn't too much to share in a good way. I remember that I checked your whole core cylinder. And that's actually quite a good point because people often mistake the core for just the ab muscles. But actually, the core cylinder is, well, like the name suggests there, a three-dimensional cylinder or a can of muscle. So Mm -hmm. I remember I checked that with you. So that was your diaphragm, your back, your abs, and of course, your pelvic floor. 
Because although the pelvic floor tends to be quite a mainstay of what I treat and what I assess, it of course doesn't work on its own. It does work with all those other components as well. I remember with you, I'm sure we just checked for your diastasis, I think just completely coincidentally, because Mm -hmm. every pregnancy near enough, 100% will result in a diastasis. So I think we just recorded it just so we knew what to compare with on the other side. Mm. And that was absolutely fine. The main thing, I checked your lower back and that was fine, as was your pelvic girdle. That was all symmetrical and moving really well, which is really crucial in the lead up to delivery. With your pelvic floor, I remember that your friend TJ was hypothesizing correctly. Yeah. <laughs> um, that <laughs> that uh, shit strength in my pelvic floor. The technical term. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't that bad. You had a hidden strength because it was being hidden by some of the muscle tension, basically. Ah, that my secret power was being <laughs> usurped by muscle tension. Amazing. <laughs> exactly. So I remember when I was checking your pelvic floor that, yeah, I did find a bit of tension on both sides. So it was symmetrically tight, if you like, for want of a better word. I know that as soon as I got you to cue in your diaphragm, which is so closely linked to our pelvic floor, that your pelvic floor were able to gain a bit more flexibility almost immediately. I remember that actually. I remember it being on like one side, I was like, yeah, that feels super tender. And then on the other side, it almost felt like it was sore, but it was pushing back almost weirdly was the only way I could describe it. Yeah, 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 exactly. And often that is what I get told during assessments. So because actually most of our pelvic floor muscles that we don't, again, often get told is that they actually are behind the back passage and under our bum muscles. Okay, yeah. So often it does feel like it's like you're kind of being poked right in right in the bum. Right in the butt, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Literally a pain in the butt. Literally. <laughs> I remember we also found a couple of trigger points, I'm sure, in your yeah. muscles. So a trigger point really, or a myofascial trigger point to give it its full name, is really mm-hmm. just, it's like a muscle knot. So people often will be familiar with muscle knots in their shoulders or their neck. But, you know, our pelvic floor muscles are the same in that respect, that they can be subjected to any of the same ailments that other muscles can get. Yeah. If any muscle in the body is working a bit harder than normal or is just tensing more than what it's relaxing, it will have the potential to develop these trigger points, which are just like small knots. So, yeah. The only trouble being with the pelvic floor, it's slightly harder for one to address (laughs) trigger points on your own. Sure, yeah. With the internal check and the internal treatment, we're able to address the trigger points really quickly. I know maybe on the outside it might sound really weird, but actually it's a completely normal part of my job anyway. And it's really a muscle at the end of the day, you know, so we're just getting the muscle to release the tension, get rid of the trigger points. And using the diaphragm, get it moving more, get the circulation better, and essentially yeah. getting you better control of your pelvic floor. And also, like you say, it is a really important muscle, and it's a muscle that's like just ignored by a, a lot of women. Just maybe it's a little embarrassing, or it's just something that we don't talk about. And and it's certainly not something I know that actually you posted maybe about a month ago that actually the NHS were starting to bring in some sort of care around kind of pelvic floor. And was it for, for kind of post 
pregnancy or was it just in general for women? I wasn't sure. I couldn't remember what you had posted. Yeah, so it was just basically, it's a small step, but a step in the right direction. Just some legislation kind of being passed that essentially every lady who has a baby is Mm going to get checked in terms of physiotherapy point of view and a pelvic floor point of view. And and would that is that pre or post or so that is only post delivery. Yeah. It is a really small step. You know, at the moment there's so many caveats and it's certainly not every single woman by any means at the moment, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I mean I could really talk about this all day, but it's mad how unfortunately at the moment it's only those who are able to essentially pay for themselves that can actually yeah. get a pelvic floor check. And I totally get it. Resources are completely stretched. You know, it wouldn't be feasible for GPs to check everybody because they don't have the time. And yeah. I guess from a women's health point of view, physios are perfectly placed in that sense because, of course, we're trained in all of the muscles and the joints and the nerves and everything else. Yeah. But we're just a bit behind in this country, unfortunately, on that sense. Not only is it that it, you know, um, you have to be able to pay for it privately, but also you have to even know that it's a thing. Just it's it just, you know, and definitely as kind of, you know, time goes on, there's definitely more conversations around women's health and all of that stuff, which is amazing. And it is great that that's a step in the right direction from the NHS, who already stretched beyond belief and do an incredible job already. But also that that's a thing that happens kind of post baby yeah. rather than pre and in many cases you know the damage might be done or like it's kind of for me it's been so important to actually come and see you beforehand because you know as, as I've said to you and I've been having a session with you that yeah. I fit and particularly the last one because we established that I was I was going a bit too hard on some of my <laughs> my exercises <laughs> but also after the the second time I saw you I just felt really, really as prepared as I could be going into this second labor. Now, again, whatever happens and whatever will be, will be. But I really feel like, right, I kind of have a plan. If it ends in a, in, a, in a C-section again, as long as Bubba's healthy, all good. You know, but I feel this time really, really prepared going into it which is which is great so sorry back to my own check so um there was yeah the 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 pain points on lots of different areas I remember and then you got me doing some breathing techniques can we talk a little bit about that as a way of just kind of I guess in general that connection between pelvic floor diaphragm breathing all of that good stuff because it's so linked sure um and it's again another thing that we don't really ever get taught there should be like yeah. a self care module at school or something that we learn how to use our bodies properly. But anyway, so yeah. <laughs> we're working on that, babe. Twenty year plan. <laughs> One step at a time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So the breathing is so important, and for something that is so simple and normally so innocuous, it the effects and the benefits it has are absolutely amazing. So it's nearly the only thing that I would get every single lady I see to do Mm -hmm. so normally I don't really have any recipes you know there's no kind of you know you don't get a handout or anything like that but really the breathing really is one of the main things that I would get every single person to do and just simply because the diaphragm and the pelvic floor are a bit like a puppet on a string so Mm -hmm. whatever the diaphragm is doing 
the pelvic floor essentially will or won't do, depending on what the diaphragm may not be doing either. Okay. So, and you might think, you know, the diaphragm being the main breathing muscle, well, why do we even need to think about that? Or, you know, I'm breathing, I'm alive, my body's mm. obviously doing something right. Mm. And the thing is, just as we get older, generally, mm. if we've ever had any pain, and that can be emotional or physical, if we have bad habits or bad movements or, you know, just little things that we pick up along the way, all of those things can make us breathe more shallowly. Mm-hmm. And that just means that our diaphragm then at the bottom of the rib cage isn't really getting the movement that it needs and that it wants. Yeah. And yeah. very simply, if the diaphragm isn't moving, then the pelvic floor can't really move very well either. Mm-hmm. So at rest, when the diaphragm isn't moving, it's up and domed. Yeah. And the pelvic floor will essentially mimic whatever position the diaphragm is in. So okay. if the diaphragm is always up and domed because it's not moving or not being used, mm-hmm. then essentially it means the pelvic floor muscles will begin to harbor some tension because they'll also be a bit up. And because yeah. of the orientation of the muscle fibers in our pelvic floor, essentially when we do a pelvic floor squeeze or a kegel, the mm-hmm. muscles, and you should be able to feel this when you do it, but the muscles squeeze and lift. So they mm-hmm. physically move up and inside the body. Yeah. So if the diaphragm isn't able to move down because we're not using it, then the pelvic floor can't move down through their full range either. Yeah. Okay. So, and it's so, so, so simple. You know, all I would get ladies to do is just to put their hands on the bottom of their rib cage, just really simply trying to get them to expand their rib cage laterally. And I could, when, when you were getting me to do that when I was on the couch, like I could physically, I mean, that, that was, it was also having an effect on just the, the tension that I was holding, wasn't it? Because yeah. even just the, I mean, you were obviously doing work as well, but even just the breathing just helped to relax everything so much, which was, which was just, I mean, I could kind of feel it releasing as, as you were doing it because even, even now I find, and do not ask me why Helen, but when I'm standing up, I have got like, I have to just make sure I relax my pelvic floor. It's so weird. I don't know whether, and this is obviously lifting is my life, but I don't know whether I've just been so used to holding intra-abdominal pressure that I'm just like walking around like a flipping wound up whatever. Um, And I really have to tell myself to relax it down. It's like it's an automatic thing even now even now when everything's a little bit more relaxed and everything so but just having that awareness and being like oh relax 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 is just good for me to sort of do throughout the day but naturally I know I just kind of hold that tension there but it is it is definitely getting um, better because now I feel like I need to pee loads whereas before as I told you I could have drank three liters of water in the morning and being like yep no I'm good to go the whole day without doing a wee even when I was pregnant so or now that I am pregnant even whereas I'm weeing a lot more now so I'd like to think that this is a success story <laughs> <laughs> might be cute other variables but <laughs> small other variables actually on on what you just said it just made me think about because some people aren't aware of their pelvic floor position. And actually, right. I would say most ladies I see probably aren't aware initially that they are holding tension in their pelvic floor. 
Mm-hmm. And so the breathing can be such a good way to help increase movement in the pelvic floor, even yeah. when people don't really know what it feels like. Because yeah. it means that they can physically put their hands around their rib cage, they can feel their hands moving, and mm-hmm. they don't even have to think about their pelvic floor. So as long as yeah. you know, their diaphragm is moving, so i.e. the bottom of your ribs expanding. Then it's just having that impact on the pelvic floor. Exactly, yeah. Amazing. And so you gave me, I think I had four exercises to do. I had a hip stretch to do. My right hip is ridiculous. And then I had the breathing to do, which I forgot about. And then I was like, Helen, how do I breathe? (laughs) I forgot how to breathe. And then I also had the massage as well to do which I only ever did once, but then now I'm doing it a lot more. And then I can't remember what was my, oh yeah, then the, then the holds and the squeezes. They were from the back to the front, right? I was doing those squeezes for 10 sets of, 10 sets to squeeze from the back to the front, which I'm very good at. And then the 10 second holds, which I'm less good at, <laughs> but I'm working on that. But again, slightly alpha exerciser, when I went to see you the second time, um, because obviously once I had you in my life the first time, I was like, oh my God, I need to see Helen every day before I have this baby. But obviously <laughs> that would be a bit too much. So I saw you, I think initially maybe in November or something. Um, and then I wanted to see you again, uh, which, which we managed to do just a couple of weeks ago. And when I was doing the squeezes, I was just squeezing a bit too hard. Wasn't that right? Yeah. So. You were just squeezing lots of things, <laughs> your pelvic floor included. But, yeah. Amongst all the other muscles in my body, face going red, steam coming off my head. Too much. <laughs> but it, it's not an uncommon thing. And especially when you say when you're so used to exercise, you know, you're yeah. used to exercising hard and exercising well. So, you know, it's totally normal and I totally get it. Yeah, I guess trying to strip down all of the hip muscles and glutes and abs so that we can really just isolate the pelvic floor. And again, not because we want the pelvic floor to work on its own, but we really want the pelvic floor to be the strongest part of our core. So that's why it's just quite crucial to strip everything else back and try and get your pelvic floor moving in isolation. And Mm -hmm. often it feels a lot, um, I guess what you were alluding to just then, I often hear that it feels a lot more subtle when it's just the floor and it doesn't feel such of a big movement. Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, that's it. Okay, right. I need to just chill out a bit more. And that was, you you were also saying to me that that was also an important part for when giving birth as well for that to be able to sort of isolate that because if there's too much tension everywhere else it's going to have the opposite effect to what I would ideally want to happen yeah exactly cool so I had my four exercises I went a bit ham on one of them and so I had to chill out on that so when I came back to see you um a couple of weeks ago most things were much better but I was still I still had a little bit of tension around the back so you were then telling me to do the perineal massage which uh, was essentially like a, a stretch position. And from, from what I remember you saying was, so you're actually, you're, you're not that far into your vagina at all when you're doing that massage. So literally kind of like the tip of your finger, really, or the tip of your thumb. 
but then you you hold that position down basically and feel it burning <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is when it's stretching that's like amazing um oh that's so enjoyable all of the bits we never get toys. <laughs> The joys. But also the the reason why, again, for me, I only dilated to three centimeters when I was, when I was, uh, you know, in full labor with Bjorn, which meant that actually I only ever had a four hour labor. So I can't really complain before they decided to get him out because they were like, honey, like (laughs) ain't nothing coming out, ain't nothing coming in (laughs) that tiny little space. So we need to get him out because my waters had broken the day before, yada, yada, yada. And I think if I could even say I have a goal for (laughs) this labor, that sounds ridiculous saying there's a goal. But anyway, but just to ideally, again, have a natural birth, but also hopefully not tear as well, which is why I'm doing the perineal massage. So that that brings me to you, you were talking about stage one and stage two labor. And I'd sort of forgotten this, A, because I, I only sort of did half of it the the first time round because I, I I didn't get to stage two, yeah. uh, which is which is at ten centimeters dilation. So I remember you you were telling me all this stuff, and then I was like, "Crap, Helen, what um? So what actually happens when I give birth? I've forgotten." <laughs> so we talked about stage one and stage two, and obviously stage one is whilst you are obviously dilating, getting ready for stage two. So we talked about a couple of things for managing stage one. And you had mentioned to me that every time I feel a contraction coming on to lean forward, and there were some benefits for that. So could you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So basically, yeah, you're right. So stage one of labor is basically when the uterus is contracting, that is ideally then causing our cervix to dilate. So they're the two main things that we want happening. And just really simply from an anatomical point of view, when our uterus contracts, it tips forwards. Basically, if you're upright and forward in your positioning, so that could mean just standing up and leaning on someone, on a work surface, on a wall. It could mean sitting down on a chair, on a ball, and again, just leaning forward um, Mm -hmm. onto a surface or someone. But essentially, if you are upright and forward, then you're going to physiologically and anatomically help the uterus to do what it's trying to do. That essentially will lead to a more efficient labor and a shorter labor. Yeah, because you were talking about, yeah, the reduction in time. I'm all about that. But I hear as also that uh, the second ones tend to come a bit bit quicker. But again, yeah. just complete novice to this whole natural birth if it happens. So again, I was like, yeah, babes, what, what was that stage one, stage two business again? Um, so leaning forward. Um, and also, did you, you, you spoke about just having BJ to massage my back. At that same time, was that right? Or was that the stage two? Yeah, that was right. So in stage one, it's often quite helpful, especially during a contraction. As I'm sure you may or may not remember, (laughs) they kind of come on like a peak. So they come on suddenly, they increase and they um, go down again before the next one. So as the peak is coming of the contraction, it can be really helpful to have somebody apply just a really strong pressure to your sacrum which is essentially just at the bottom of your back, at the back of your pelvis. And it's often where in labor, a lot of pain will be anyway. And, you know, there's no 
definite. You have to massage in that area or in a certain way. But generally, it's found to be really, really helpful. And also, it's quite nice because whoever is your birth partner, you know, they feel like they're a bit more involved. They're a bit more helping. You know, you often hear that they feel a bit helpless initially. You know, they can't really do a lot to change what's going on. But if they can do something really simple like a massage to to help you, that can be just quite nice for you but and also nice for them to get involved a bit yeah because I went after I saw you that day I was like BJ I have jobs for you (laughs) (laughs) and it's good because we've both done sports therapy so like he's he's good like you know he'll have good firm hands with the old massage so um that is cool and then to stage two lol you told me to um (laughs) relax as much as possible during this stage please Helen speak further of this relaxation opportunity (laughs) so I think what I was saying was so in stage two so this is when our cervix is fully dilated and we're good to go in theory Yeah. yeah because of certain reflexes and hormones that are all going on you know it's nearly impossible to stop labor Essentially, I think what I was saying is if you're crowning and you feel like pushing, push. But Uh if you, some ladies get to 10 centimeters and actually don't necessarily feel a very strong urge to push. And Mm -hmm. of course, it goes without saying this is completely, you know, on an individual case by case presentation. Mm. And the midwife who's with you will, of course, be able to advise you at the time. So I don't want anyone stressing that they have to remember (laughs) stuff necessarily for themselves. But Mm -hmm. um, it is possible and more possible if you have an epidural. But it is possible to actually wait a bit when Uh you are fully dilated. Okay. Sometimes, you know, that can really, really help because you'll still be contracting and the baby will still be you know, moving down then up again with each. Yeah. Yeah. The actual active pushing phase where you are pushing Mm -hmm. ideally should be as short as possible. Okay. So generally in this country, anyway, at least the guidelines say that, you know, you'll be, you'll be allowed to push for about an hour. Mm -hmm. And of course you only push with each contraction. So it's not one hour long of constant pushing. It's mm. one hour of pushing when you have a contraction, which will be once every couple of minutes or so. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So you, just to get it clear in my own head for this, this <laughs> yeah. imminent arrival, so just try and relax as much as possible. But if I felt the urge to push, to push basically. Yeah, and okay. like your midwife will absolutely be able to guide you mm-hmm. because there's lots of factors involved with it, but... I definitely have had lots of ladies before who get to fully dilated. Yeah. Most of them are on the epidural at this stage, but who then just literally just try and chill for an hour and just let, you know, kind of nature take its course. Oh. Yeah. And so they don't push at all or they push at the end or, because I remember you also said to me, when you feel like you cannot go on, <laughs> that will be probably when Bubba comes out so yeah hang on in there for that dear god (laughs) yeah it's it's a known thing in the obstetric world that 
I can't remember what they call it now, but basically, yeah, when you feel like it is the end of the world and you feel oh, like God. you can't do anything else, <laughs> that is a cardinal sign of when the baby is imminently going to arrive. Right. Okay. So I feel, when I feel like I want to die, that's when the birth will happen. So that whole life cycle, death, birth, just the reverse way around. Okay. I have got this. Woo! Yeah, great. <laughs> At what stage can I punch my husband? <laughs> Well, that goes anytime. <laughs> Amazing. And also, when you were uh, working on my pelvic floor and it was quite sore, and I said to you, So, Helen, is this what it's like when you're pushing a baby out? And you were like, Oh, bless. <laughs> if only, Jocelyn, you sweet, sweet thing. What an innocent thought. No, it's going to be like hellfire. Can't wait. Anyway. So that's stage two. And so so here, anyway, they they often don't let women go beyond an hour, which is fine. So I'll be mindful of that. And I'm going to try and, you know, chill. As long as I've got that gas and air, that stuff was so good. I, my sister, when she had her, my, my nephew years ago, and I remember she had so much gas and air that she actually felt really sick once she had him, bless her. So I remember, you know, when I was when I w- was in labor with Bjorn, I was like, no, I don't want that gas and air. I don't want that gas and air because, you know, I'm going to feel sick. I'm going to feel sick. So when they, you know, so I was like, well, what can I do about this pain? And they were like, oh, you can take this. I was like, oh, okay, I'll try and hang on in there for a minute. And then the lady's like, the midwife is like, well, why don't you try the gas and air? So I just kind of, you know, took this like pathetic little sip. And both BJ, who, you know, has been knocked out a few times via rugby and had various kind of, you know, broken bones and so on, has, has taken the gas and air. They're both like, no, love, you need to, you know, go a bit harder on that. So I took these two pathetic sips and they were like no put your mouth around that damn thing and suck hard (laughs) and so I did and Jesus I was like this is awesome so that was like my lifeline to God until they flipping took it away from me when we had to go into surgery so as long as I've got my gas in the air this time around I'm gonna go straight in and I'm gonna be like I know I'm no centimeters but where's my gas in the air at give me that good stuff Okay, so back to seriousness, sorry. When we were talking about, I was kind of, you know, trying to work out what to do, stage one, stage two, breathing, leaning forward, getting BJ to massage, trying to chill, lol, as much as possible in stage two, the help of my good friend Gassanair, um, and whatever else I will feel I need at the time. You also I, I strongly recommended if they had suggested uh, forceps not to go for that so let me uh, just explain that a little bit more please Helen yeah so it's the advice I give all of my ladies who are pregnant that if they can avoid forceps at all costs then do it's just really to protect your pelvic floor and to protect your quality of life more than anything yeah so the forceps basically in countries, for example, in over in Scandinavia, over that way, the mm. only place you will see forceps are in museums. Yeah, that's so, crazy. Just so yeah. archaic. God. Yeah. So they, amongst other countries, have recognised that actually the detrimental effect it can have on the mum is right. severe enough that they now don't use them. Right. And of course, there are still some ladies who have forceps who don't have any problems, but mm-hmm. If you do use 
if forceps are used, and again, it's worth noting that they are only used in an emergency. Yeah. So, you know, it's only, they will only use them if there is an emergency situation happening. But that's also when a cesarean section can maybe also be a choice. You know, I've been present at loads of cesareans and with an emergency cesarean, you know, you can go from knife to skin to baby out within literally seconds. It's not necessarily, the, you know, the time thing. Forceps aren't necessarily quicker. Yeah. But basically with the forceps delivery, it just leaves you so much more as the mom. It leaves you so much more likely to have a prolapse later in life. It leaves you yeah. so much more likely to have weakness in your pelvic floor. Uh-huh. Also, over the last, probably the last decade or so now, there's a lot of research coming out, especially from Australia, mm-hmm. that actually forceps deliveries can cause avulsions to the pelvic floor. Wow, okay. And so that basically means that some of the muscle fibers of the pelvic floor become detached from their attachment point on the bone. You know, it sounds quite severe and well, I, I guess it is quite severe, really, because you can't at the moment, there's no surgical procedure that can repair it. Yeah. But saying that, I have seen lots of ladies with avulsions and you can retrain the pelvic floor very specifically to help compensate. Yeah. But it obviously just means you've got a bit of a harder task ahead of you to yeah. rehab from that place. Yeah. Rather than if it didn't happen at all. Yeah. And there's, there's, you know, luckily, and I'm so grateful for it. Again, you still have to search for it and you, you have to pay for it, but there's a lot of recovery that you can do kind of post C-section in terms of working on the scar, working on the movement, getting everything connected and, and working together again. So I was, I really, you know, focused on that after and really feel like I kind of came back stronger for it. I know again, with C-sections, you know, a lot of women feel like they failed in some way, which just breaks my heart because it's kind of like, wow, you know, like you've grown this beautiful little thing for, you know, nine months in your in your belly. And for whatever reason, you know, that's the way they came out. And that is what it is. There's no, there should, you know, there should be no guilt, no any, like, it's just like you've got this little child now. It just breaks my heart when I hear that sort of mum's feeling like they, they didn't do the right the right job or the right thing yeah I absolutely agree yeah I now can't remember what my point was about that and I claim baby brain is that all right I'm a week <laughs> out yeah so but there's so there's certainly a lot more um that can be done to sort of you know recover the no that's what I was going to say that you know I know a lot of women don't even want to look at their scar or are ashamed of their mm-hmm. scar or don't want to touch their scar and you know it's just kind of there's so much that can be done to help you heal really really well and that it's just it's just not a thing to be ashamed of. And again, you know, this time I would like to ideally have a natural birth. But if I don't and it's C-section again, I completely trust the care at the hospital. They were amazing the last time. And I'm sure they'll be amazing again. So shout out to everyone at the Homerton Hackney. You know, it kind of is what it is. And as long as like everyone's okay that's it yep longer recovery but but all good and and just you know kind of not to rush back into it too soon I want to move on just a little bit from um I think we've covered all of the birth 
stuff and also just that point about the forceps I think that's really important oh one more thing actually that we talked about when I was literally like gouging out your brains before I left (laughs) our last session I was like what else can I learn was you were talking about um and and they're so they're so much more advanced in terms of uh, kind of pelvic floor care in France anyway and but you mentioned a study to me about due dates that they told women that was a little longer than they than they thought and the only reason I think why we started talking about this was because um because I have had a c-section already because I'm 40 now I am a geriatric mother who knew and so there's this whole thing around if I go beyond 40 weeks that you know they'll want to induce me and they'll want to do this and they'll want to do that and again I'm not going against anything that the you know medical profession would suggest and I'm mindful of my baby's movements and all of those things so of course I want safety first but I would rather not have any intervention even if I go over you know a few days Bjorn was three days over so I'm hoping this one's either going to be on time or a little bit before but not just yet because I still have some stuff to do five days five days can hold off I did I spoke to it this morning and I was like okay, hey, dude, or dudette, whatever you are, if you could just hang on in there for five days, I would really appreciate that. That would be really helpful. So I feel like it's in the, I put it out there to the universe and the baby. Let's just see what happens. I hope I don't get any cramps whilst we talk now. But yeah, there's, there's, there's this whole kind of, so I'm going to, to see the midwife tomorrow because I'm going to be a week out and she's offered me a sweep. Um, and I'm kind of just like, well, if it's, if it's cool, I might just chill and see what happens. Now, I know my, one of my friends who's just had, she just had her third, her third child. She's like, do you know what I wish you, Jocelyn? I wish you quick time so you can get that baby out whereas I'm like do you know what if it can hold off for as long as possible <laughs> I'm cool until I get everything done but I'm going to see the midwife tomorrow and then she you know the, the you know she said if you want to have a sweep to get things going early you can I kind of I'm like yeah and then next Tuesday which is my due date I'm going to see the doctor at the hospital and they're going to check me and just kind of see what's happening and see if there's a, a sniff of dilation and again they're like you know so we'd be happy to reduce you and I'm, I'm kind of again just like can we just wait and see but of course whilst I've been in these meetings I'm just been kind of like yeah okay cool let's go with the flow and see what happens but um there just seems to be all of this pressure around the due date because of my age because of the c-section whereas I'm trying to be quite relaxed about it so tell me about that study sorry that was a long very long introduction to that study yeah, no, because I think, yeah, we were saying, weren't we, about should you go for induction or not? And yeah. yeah, the due date discussion, as you say. I know anecdotally, at least, the most pregnancies get earlier as the pregnancies go on. So your mm-hmm. second generally, anecdotally, which should arrive a bit earlier than the first. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's not an exact thing, but mm-hmm. generally that's the trend. And that's, I think, when I told you about in France, so they were, they basically did a social experiment. They didn't tell the pregnant ladies that they were changing their estimated due date. Very long story short, they essentially gave them all a week later what would have been given beforehand. Mm-hmm. It's something so minute, like 1% of babies actually arrive on their due date. Wow, okay. Yeah, but they found in France, so they've now actually adopted this week later date. And okay. actually so many more babies arrive on their due date 
and they still have this two week leeway, if you like, about going. Yeah. Yeah. Here, so essentially, they have three weeks on us, where we have two weeks. Mm -hmm. If you compare like for like, because they've carried on with this week later date, whereas we're still using the previous one. Yeah. And then for me, because of my age, they're sort of like, well, we don't want you to go over at all. You know, whereas again, I'm kind of like, you you know, actually, to be fair, my midwife was like, look, you don't have to do whatever you don't want to do. So she said, if you want to just chill and go over, that's cool. She's, she's amazing. But it, it is, it's just like this kind of pressure of, of, you know, I guess intervention, you know, before, before perhaps your body is, is ready. And this, this one moves way more than Bjorn did. I remember my auntie say to me, I used to get kicked in the ribs and all that. And I remember thinking, Bjorn never did that. He was so chilled inside my stomach. Whereas this one is literally in the morning. All right, mummy, let's go. Legs out, arms out, moonwalking, backflipping <laughs> constantly throughout the day. So I know that I'm kind of mindful of the of the movement and that it's very much there and kicking around. I suppose it's going to run out actually. It's so <laughs> active, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's just kind of pressure around the the day. And I know, you know, 40 weeks is a long time yeah. <laughs> So for most women. It's like, come on, just come out. But equally, I kind of feel like if you've made it that far um, and you can bear it, just, just, you know, chill and let it happen. But anyway, um, fingers crossed, that however Bubba comes, it is healthy and um, that's all I really care about. I don't know if I'm having a boy or a girl. I've been emotional, so I reckon, I reckon that. I keep saying I might be a girl, that it might be a girl because I've been emotional, which is probably a terrible thing to say, but I've said it now. But with Bjorn, I was 90% sure it was a boy. And with this, I'm 60% sure it's a girl. So that's not really much of a... <laughs> <laughs> statistic is it? so let's talk about recovery now Helen yeah. so Bubba has come out whichever way let's let's say um let's say I have Bubba naturally then what are my what are my next steps from there so there's essentially no rest for pelvic floor so mm-hmm. <laughs> pelvic floor wise no matter mm-hmm. how the baby comes out it's really crucial to be start doing a few squeezes again yeah are we talking same day or? Well, I was just going to say, I mean, the, you know, you know, I'm a details girl. So, <laughs> yeah. so day naught, I don't expect you or anyone to be doing, you know, 30 lots of 10 seconds and 30 squeezes and everything. Yeah. Excellent. I can so, have a day off. Fabulous. Definitely don't expect that <laughs> um, volume. You know, if you have had a vaginal delivery, and mm-hmm. if there is a tear or aren't tears or, you know, whatever may or may not have happened to the skin or maybe the muscle. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I forgot about skin. Crap. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, because it's the skin that tears back. It's too late, isn't it? I can't back out now. Oh, all right, perineal massage. I'm going to do it all night. Right, carry on. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so no matter what has happened or hasn't happened, yeah. it's completely safe to do some pelvic floor squeezes okay. even on day naught. So okay. just literally a handful of squeezes, but just doing a few of them is so good to get the circulation moving. And, okay. you know, it really encourages efficient healing. 
and it helps with any swelling that might be there and it it really does even though they will be a bit uncomfortable to do and also you might feel like your brain is not connected to anywhere down there (laughs) temporarily but it is just such a good thing to start doing them again okay that's definitely the first thing I would say okay and then you definitely have to take a few weeks at least like B (laughs) yeah Um, because if there were anything there that needs healing, so yeah. generally soft tissues will take about six weeks to heal in the mm-hmm. average person. Mm-hmm. So if there's any healing that needs to take place, then you have to really allow your body to do that. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you're going to feel rubbish for six weeks necessarily or be in pain for six weeks. Mm-hmm. But it just means, I guess, as a rough guide, you know, don't start doing anything too crazy exercise wise and you know, what we generally advise is that start with walking yep. and just small walks to begin with and then gradually build up, you know, every few days, maybe add five or 10 minutes onto the walk. Yeah. And yep. ideally you want to be walking symptom free before you then start back any proper exercise. Got it. Okay. And, you know, and by symptoms, I mean, you don't want to feel any pain at all in the pelvic floor area. You don't want to feel any heaviness or dragging. Yeah. Just, you just kind of want it to feel as normal as possible, really. Yeah. And I know that's a bit of a, you know, a wishy-washy word to use. But if it doesn't feel normal to you, that's a symptom, really, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. And with the with the walking, because I remember, so when I was recovering from the C-section, I yeah. really, um, I remember the surgeon said to me whilst I was on the table, she was like, I know that, you know, I can see that you, you know, do a lot of physical activity, you know, please do nothing but feed the baby for the first two weeks. Like don't lift them up. Don't do anything. And I was very lucky. Um, BJ, my husband was incredibly hands-on. I had help from my mum, So I had lots of support around me, which was amazing. Um, yeah. And I literally did nothing but feed for the, the those two weeks. And she said, I promise you, you, you will um, recover so much better. And then I remember when I started back I went through uh, an amazing lady Dr Lindsay Matthews of BirthFit um in the states and my first thing was just was was breathing just sort of super short walks and I remember that really took it out of me in you know when I when I started doing that after you know kind of like I think it was three weeks or something so if it's a natural birth and all being well there's not a huge amount of (laughs) collateral damage shall we say is walking how soon can you walk should you be resting for a week to like when, when would you sort of start that back I know it's very individual but just trying to get the detail here honey <laughs> <laughs> so you you're totally right it's very individual as a rough guide once the bleeding has stopped yeah so obviously after we have a baby there's kind of a little bit of bleeding and stuff that happens and that yeah. can happen for a few days sometimes or at least a few days yeah sometimes maybe a couple of weeks or so yeah you really want that to have stopped really before you start doing anything yeah so then once the lockier that's called once the lockier has stopped then you're good to go as long yeah. as you feel up to it because okay you know don't forget your body needs so much of its resources to mm-hmm. if you're breastfeeding of course it needs energy for that yeah. you know if you're not really sleeping then yeah, yeah. You know, your body's just going to be using a lot more energy mm. so 
it's really good and it's really crucial to get back into physical activity again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but just doing it at the right time. So yeah. I would say as a general rule, give yourself a couple of weeks yeah, and then start from there and yeah. you know, start small. And it's actually better to do little and often walks rather than going for one big walk. Yeah. I don't know if you had like 15, 20 minute walk to the park or I don't know, to like your favorite pond or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then have a little sit down, maybe not, it might be really cold, but, you know, yeah. have a little coffee maybe in a nice coffee shop yeah. and then come back again after yeah. sitting down for a bit. Okay, so a little kind of rest in between, okay. Yeah, and then see how that feels. And it might not actually, you might not feel anything till the next day. Mm-hmm. So just take each day as it comes. Don't plan too much. Definitely don't put any pressure on yourself. Yeah. That's how your body feels because especially in the first eight weeks, that's mm. when a lot of your muscles, your ligaments, like so many things are trying to recoil and go back down to yeah. what had been from, you know, pre-pregnancy. Yeah. If you put excessive strain on your body in those first few weeks, it can just delay that to happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it also feeds into your diastasis then as well. Yeah. So yeah. your the gap down the middle of your tummy, diastasis, that can take up to eight weeks for its natural recovery to take place. Yeah. Okay. So you don't want to do too much, basically. Yeah. Okay. And that's it. And I, and I just feel like it's my pregnancies are not something that I document necessarily online or anything like that, um, nor even the recovery afterwards. It's just a, a private and a, and a very personal thing to me. I do, however, get a lot of women contact me and say, you know, how do I get back into it? What should I do? When can I start? And my big thing is just exactly that. Like, listen, you know, you've just been carrying this, you know, baby around in your tummy for 40 weeks or however long. Chill in those first few, you know, weeks or, you know, five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks or whatever. And don't worry about what's happening with your you know for for me my plan would be just to eat as well as I can as nutrient dense a diet as I can and by diet I just mean way of eating rather than me actually dieting and then just yeah resting and listening to my body and I think it's something that I that I talk about a lot is that we've become really disassociated from um what our bodies are telling us and just to kind of tune into that and just be like actually do you know what today I don't feel great I remember I remember there was one day I remember it as one I'm sure there are a million but there was one day with Bjorn um in the early days where I just I just was in bed the whole day I couldn't get out of bed I was just exhausted um and I just that was it I I succumbed to it and I recognized um again I had lots of help my husband was around my mother and mother-in-law were around you know I, I had all of that support I know that not everybody has that but just to really, exactly as you're saying, don't rush back into it. Like eight weeks is nothing for just, just to let your body recover. And, and even just that, you know, if the pregnancy, if the, if the labor was like half an hour and I sneezed it out and I had no tears and all was fine, I would still give myself that time because it's just like, you've, you've had this child like weighing down on your pelvis, obviously in the, in the latter stages more than anything else, but for months and just to let it's, it's, it's such little time. You know, we always talk about, I was, I was chatting to a friend the other day and I was saying, 
you know, we were saying, oh my God, it's already the end of January. This is going to be another one of those years where we get to June and we're like, how is it June? <laughs> so, you know, when you, when you kind of get to, when you think about the time, it's just, it's just nothing. So I'm going to be all about putting my feet up. <laughs> it's also interesting to know that in terms of the pregnancy hormones, mm. they are present in your body for at least five months. Wow. Yeah. Such a long time. So, and it doesn't mean, of course, you can't exercise for that long, but it just means when you're getting back, just get back in gradually and, you know, doing all the obvious things that I'm sure you would. Yeah. And just one other thing as well. I, you know, obviously I came to see you because I was mindful that I, you know, wasn't dilating. I know that that's really common in, in athletes as well, um, by the way. So athletes go see a pelvic floor physio and also don't just go if you're going to have a baby or you're pregnant or anything like that. Your pelvic floor, again, is a super important muscle. And it's something that I feel everybody should um, basically go and at least get checked once because there are lots of different you know, symptoms pre- uh, presented, whether it's, you know, painful sex or whatever. It's just an important muscle that, that shouldn't be um, ignored. But I've got a friend at the moment um, who uh, had a natural birth first time round and is, is possibly considering a C-section this time round because she had quite bad tearing. And I was saying to her that it's still important to go and see you or whoever, because the, the, the baby in the, in the later stages is still going to be weighing down on that pelvic floor and kind of weakening it probably some more. So it's not like if you, if you opt for a cesarean that you still don't have, you still don't come with all of the other baggage as it were of a baby weighing down on your pelvic floor. Yeah, it's such a good point to make because you're totally right. The pregnancy is having the same impact on all of your ligaments, your muscles, everything that comes with that. And the mode of delivery is just one small factor within reason to our health. Yeah. So absolutely, even if you've only had cesareans and you've never had a vaginal delivery, then yeah, 100% if you're, especially if you're an athlete, definitely mm-hmm. just get and get a pelvic floor MOT yeah and you never know it might be you know if you go in it might be a once-off it might just you might be checked and there'll be nothing wrong and the only thing that you might gain is just confidence knowing how to do your pelvic floor correctly for the future even that in itself seeing what I see in my clinic that is such a valuable thing to be able to have to have that confidence that you are mm. correctly using them yeah yeah it's just it's just so important like we just we focus on so many other muscles and not that one and it's it's key to just life to even just standing up and breathing properly it's crazy but um hopefully with you know people like you in the world and tj and uh, lots more people spreading the good word uh, hopefully over time that will change helen you're like god to me right now and forever will be and also uh, the first time we met you uh, we were introduced uh, by Eva over instagram and you were talking about the women in fitness summit oh yeah that, that had just passed and, uh, and I was like, oh, yes, you'll be speaking at it next year, dear. <laughs> so we're going to have that in June of uh, this year. So I have yet to lock in a date, but I'm hoping that you are still game for that. And uh, yeah, just just opening your brain up to everybody who needs to hear this information, which is basically all women and men as well. I think it's important for everyone to know. Helen, where can people find you, my love? 
So I, well, not just me, me and my team, we work in Wandsworth in Southwest London. Mm-hmm. So that's where you can find us. And if you want to contact me, then that is absolutely fine as well. You can always send me an email. Yeah. Um, What's your email? What's your contact? So my email address is Helen Keeble, which is spelled K-E-E-B-L-E at hotmail.co.uk. Or if you go to the website, which is helenkeeble.co.uk, then you'll have loads of information there too. Amazing. And then you're also on the gram? I am also on Instagram <laughs> and my handle is Helen Keeble Physio. Amazeballs. Perfect. So you can message me on there. I'm on Facebook as well or Twitter. So yeah, you can get in touch if you've got any questions about anything, just shoot them over. Fab. Thank you so much. And you have an event coming up, is that right? Or have I has that already yeah. gone by? I'm just trying to think of when this is gonna air as well because it's going to air after I have the baby ofs yeah so the upcoming one probably is already gone by the time okay. it's out because okay. I'm doing it at the end of January okay yeah. we're just covering lots of different topics so the January one was exercise in pregnancy but that'll be coming around again because it's so popular and it's yeah. fully at the moment yeah. so one in February is going to be around how women can can train smarter Okay, great. I'm really excited for this one. It's basically all about menstrual health and when we should train according to where we are in our cycle. Oh, hashtag love. Amazing. What date is that, Helen? Can I book on? Can I bring the bubba and just sit there with the bubba on the boob and just embrace the whole experience? Because (laughs) I I have to come to that one. Uh, What date is that, my love? Now I'm just completely just, now I'm actually just looking after my own diary. Sorry, everyone that's listening. (laughs) So that one puts in for the 21st of February. Okay, cool. Right. Hopefully bubs will be out by then. Amazeballs. Well, better be out. It's June the 29th. Okay, cool. It's the 21st. Fabulous. That's amazing. No one else but before me. Don't take my place. Well, you won't have anyway because this is not going to air until after I've booked mine. <laughs> Helen, thank you so much. Honestly, from me personally, having you uh, in my life right now has been just a godsend. And so I'm so grateful for all of the information you've given to me. And if I can do anything just to get your word out there as much as possible, I will will, will do all of that and more. And I'm looking forward to um, having you at the summit this year and just generally doing more collaborations and just keep doing your wonderful work because it's amazing and life-changing um for women everywhere and you know let's keep this topic um at the forefront of everyone's you know heads and thoughts and and physical well-being and thank you so much thank you so much jocelyn for having me and letting me let me open my brain <laughs> oh god no just keep it open and I'll just keep digging obviously you know me as much as I can but Helen thank you so much my darling the next time that I will be in touch with you will be like okay it happened they arrived oh, I sneezed and out it came lol <laughs> said no one ever um but I'll keep telling myself that anyway lots of love to you and thank you so so and much no no worries you're welcome Thanks so much, Helen. See you later. See you. Bye. 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 Bye.